This is Echo Zoe Radio, episode 151 for November 2020 with Chris Drew on Assurance of Salvation. Welcome to Echo Zoe Radio, the podcast outreach of Echo Zoe Ministries, where you'll hear about important topics affecting the church today. Our primary goal is to explore a variety of issues while remaining faithful to God and His Word. Stay with us for the next hour as your host, Andy Olson, shares his conversation with this month's guest. Here's your host, Andy Olson. I'm Andy Olson. Thanks for listening to Echo Zoe Radio. This is episode 151 for November 2020 with Chris Drew. Chris is pastor of Faith Presbyterian Church in Grand Forks, North Dakota, and he joins me to discuss the doctrine of assurance of salvation. As with any episode, you can get show notes for this one at the website. Every month I put together a bullet-pointed outline of the discussion, a list of scriptures that we reference during the show for your own deeper study, and depending on what I find, a list of additional resources on the subject, as well as related episodes from the Echozoi Radio archives. No video version of the episode this month, though. This one is audio only. And anyway, you can find those show notes at uh, echozoe.com slash 151. With that, here's my discussion with Chris. Chris, um, it is a pleasure to have you on Echozoi Radio. I'm glad, I'm glad to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, well, um, I, I I thank you for, I was going through kind of a little of uh, a, glut, or a, a rut a couple months ago looking for um, guests and having a tough time with, um, with, there's an aspect of podcasting. I've enjoyed it for the well, past 12 years, 13 years almost. And, um, wow, and it's changed a lot in, in that time. You know, when I started, I was one of the only um layman average Joe podcasters in the Christian sphere. I mean, there really weren't hardly any at all. Most of your podcasters mm-hmm. were people who had radio shows or like James White had moved over from radio to, to streaming. And um, so it was, it was people with experience and, and I was kind of one of the first inexperienced guys to do it. And it was fun because I could reach out to just about anybody and say, Hey, I got a show and I'd love to interview and, and didn't have a whole lot of trouble getting guests, but now everybody and their brothers got a podcast and most of them are better <laughs> than mine. And uh, so those guests are getting harder to come by. And so I was really thankful that you said, Hey, I'll come on with you and talk about some stuff. And we found a great topic to do. Um, We're going to talk about assurance, but before we do, I I just want to talk about you and your ministry. What, what do you do and where are you from? And well, I'm, uh, I'm originally from Salt Lake city, Utah. So I grew up in the shadow of the, of the Mormon church, but I grew up in a Presbyterian church. I I grew up in a church called Wasatch Presbyterian church in Salt Lake city, Utah. It's a a PC USA church and, uh, was, was, uh, baptized in that church, raised in that church, uh, was confirmed in that church and, uh, actually first suspected I might be called to the ministry of the gospel in that church. Mm -hmm. Um, and I remember, I think it was like a high, I was in high school or something. And uh, the, the, the main pastor had not preached that Sunday, but at the time we had a counseling minister. His name was Horace. And Horace had preached that Sunday and his wife 
his lovely wife was, uh, they've both gone on to glory now, but his lovely wife was there and we were at the fellowship hour and she came up to me after, after the worship service and said, you know, Chris, I was watching you and I was just struck with the notion that you might, you might consider being a pastor someday. And I was really blown away because I thought that was just a, a me thing. Um, but, uh, so that, that's the seed that I then planted and buried for about 10 and a half years <laughs> while I pursued a secular career, uh, as a management and IT consultant. So I moved, uh, I moved from Salt Lake city to San Francisco, California. Okay. First time, first time ever out on my own. I had lived at home my, my whole life, went to college, stayed at home. I went to the university of Utah. So that was easy to do. And then moved to San Francisco. Didn't know anybody, didn't have a place to live. Uh, all I knew is I had this job and, um, I, I finally got settled there. And for the next 10 and a half years, I was on airplanes every single week, going to different client sites and, uh, Were doing, you at a big IT company like a Google or an Apple or the company at the time when I joined, it was a company called Anderson Consulting, okay, which was originally part of the uh, accounting firm Arthur Anderson, also now of blessed memory after the Enron <laughs> scandal. Uh-huh. But the way that worked is uh, Arthur Anderson developed a consulting business uh, doing IT implementations, accounting software and such. And what they soon figured out was that there were conflicts associated with being an auditor and then putting in these accounting systems. So they they broke off a group of partners who would do nothing more than the consulting work, and then the audit and tax practice would be separate. And what happened was, is the IT side of it just exploded in growth, and the tax and audit side did, but it, it was far more tepid growth than the consulting side. Mm-hmm. And the partnership agreements, they were all part of this umbrella worldwide partnership, and there was revenue sharing built into the agreement. So the consulting partners were always writing these big checks every year to equalize the value of the partnership units across the entire worldwide enterprise. And what happened was uh, eventually Anderson, Arthur Anderson started getting into consulting again. And the consulting partners would go to companies and then they find out their competitor was their partner. Oh, from. No. <laughs> so that, that was a problem and it blew up and came to a head and the consulting partners sued for divorce in the international arbitration court or something like that okay. in Geneva or whatever, they prevailed. And then they had to give up the name because the Anderson partnership, uh, the audit and tax had it. And they were, there's a lot of lamenting, all this brand equity, we have to replace it. It's going to cost hundreds of millions of dollars. And then Enron happened and they were all dancing the jig because they had changed their name to Accenture. So <laughs> by the time I left, it was, called, it was this empty vessel name called Accenture. Uh, and when I left, that was when I I was uh, convinced that I was really being called to the ministry. I had become more active in the church in San Francisco, very liberal PCUSA church. Mm-hmm. Uh, and ended up going to Austin Presbyterian Theological Seminary. That's actually where I met my, I met my wife uh, at seminary. And we graduated. Uh, we were married before we graduated. Spent about a year in a small church in Portland, Texas, which is kind of a bedroom community to Corpus Christi. Okay. And then I received my first call into the ministry uh, in a, in, at First Presbyterian Church in Jackson, Minnesota. Ah, Jackson. So I'm not familiar with Jackson, but I know you're in Grand Forks. Is that close? I'm in, I'm in Grand Forks now. So that call ended after about seven and a half years. And by the time that call ended, I, had, I was thoroughly finished with the PCUSA. Uh-huh. Uh, my... Uh, um, 
when I was in seminary, I understood that I was really far more reformed than just about everybody in the seminary and the faculty and all my classmates. Sure. And based on things that happened in the PCUSA, I ultimately left. I was out of the ministry for about a year and a half doing technical support work for the local school district. Mm-hmm. And then finally took a call in the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, which brought me up here to Grand Forks. Okay. And so I serve a tiny mission church in, that meets in a mall in the shadow of a huge mega church that owns the mall. <laughs> and they have literally rooms that surround our space in the oh, mall. Oh, funny. And uh, I serve. Uh, What's just the a mega church, church up there? Uh, the, well, there, there are several that want to be, but the most prominent one is Hope Evangelical. Okay. Uh, it's sounds a covenant like a very, evangelical church. Okay. I was going to say, it sounds like a very cookie cutter name. Of yeah, a typical uh, Big Eva type church. There are three churches that meet in the mall. There is Hope, and then we're Faith. So mm-hmm. you have Faith, Hope, and then the third church. What do you think it is? Love? Would it be something no, love? It's, it's Thrive. Oh, <laughs> Thrive. Thrive Community okay. Church. Well, they need to change it to love. Yeah. <laughs> so I actually am a, a tent making pastor. I have a full time job at the University of North Dakota where I do IT work. Oh, man. As an NDSU yep. grad, I you know, that, that just. Well, we can't all be perfect. Uh, yeah. Andy. <laughs> uh, I could say some political things at this point about the people, your institution. Well, it's has, a little different graduated. now since I left or since I graduated, NDSU became a kind of a low level D1 school. And so they're not in the same yeah. con, uh, division anymore. There's no, uh, they used to call it the nickel trophy when I was in school. Yeah. They, they competed in my, and NDSU never won it when I was there. I think they won it once. I, I did a five year program. <laughs> Not that uh-huh. I couldn't finish any time, but my, my degree took five years. It, uh, legit, I finished on time. But um, So in that five years, I think they won it once. Uh, they called it the nickel trophy because we were the NDSU bison. Uh, I pronounce right. it bison. They pronounce it bison. Yeah. Uh, and then um, UND was the fighting Sioux. And so the old yep. nickel had the Indian on one side yeah. and the bison on the other. So it was a perfect trophy. They had a huge, like, probably a foot across uh, nickel that they – Pass back awesome. and forth as the the trophy to the football game. Uh, well, let's see if I can find it around one of the trophy cases up here at UND. <laughs> but my primary job is we came up here to minister to this church, mm-hmm. and um, it's been a real blessing to me. Uh, we re- we've been small for a long time. We'd like it to grow, but in God's providence, uh, we're happy with where we're at. We have some really good people. It's a good, loving church, and we're really happy to be a part of it. And, That's great. And to be in in the in an A Park denomination like the Orthodox Presbyterian Church. So that's uh, what I do. I'm sorry. What you what did you, how did you describe that? The denomination. Uh, it's the Orthodox Presbyterian oh, you Church. Said it's a A Park or something. I didn't quite catch what you said. Oh, it's Nay Park. Nay Park. North okay. American. Yeah, North American Presbyterian and Reform Churches. There is okay. a coalition of small denominations. It actually includes the Presbyterian Church of America, which is the, by far the largest uh, sure. group in there. Uh, but uh, yeah, so that's okay. that's what I do up here in Grand cool. Forks. And you you work at UND uh, as your your uh, you said your tent making job and. Yep. Cool. I do that. Uh, oh, we're cutting out a little bit. We're on uh, Google Hangouts today, and. Uh, been going pretty well, but we might experience some a little different technical difficulties. Par for the course. I think I'm you're making sure I have nothing else open. <laughs> no, it's probably just the 
the the the rodents in the in the line in between us. We're not yeah. that far away. You know, Grand Forks is uh, was about five hour drive from here, I think. Yeah, four and a half five hours. Yeah. So northwest yeah. metro. To, you're up in uh, Chris Roseboro's neighborhood. I most certainly am. In fact, I I think every Sunday, almost every Sunday, I drive by his house. Oh yeah, on the way to worship. And and one of the larger families of our church lives in Warren, Minnesota, which is about an hour away. And there's a tiny little LCMS church uh, near Radium, Minnesota, where this family lives. And he pastors that church as well, I think. Okay. Uh, he has a yoked parish arrangement, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, cool. So our topic, we're going to talk about assurance of salvation. And um, I was just commenting earlier today as I was kind of reaching out to see how the scheduling is still going to work. And uh, we're now the Monday after the election, and there's a lot of stress and anxiety going on right now. Um, you know, this is going to be kind of a Bush, Bush v. Gore thing where we're going to remember for decades what happened this year. And um, there there really is a lot of stress and anxiety and wondering uh, what's going to happen to this this country and this world. And I've been stressed. I've been full of anxiety myself, wondering if I've got, you, we talked about you've got five kids, I've got four, and just what kind of world are they going to be coming up in? And and I thought, wow, you know, it's just really providential and timely. We've been talking about this sub, subject for weeks, and now we're sitting mm-hmm. down, and I thought, man, it's it's almost a perfect day to talk about it. <laughs> yeah. So uh, maybe I'll start out just by asking, like, what is, uh, why is it such an important doctrine, the the assurance of salvation? Well, the, the importance of the doctrine, I mean, there's, there's a lot of reasons it's, it's really important. But one of the reasons it's important is what it tells us about God and about how God saves us. And it, it, it tells us that God's purposes are fixed and unchangeable. Mm-hmm. That when he calls somebody... Uh, by his saving grace and enlivens them by the power of the Holy Spirit, he will not change his mind. His mind had already been made up from before the dawn of time that you would be among his adopted children. And, uh, and, and so one of the things that's one of the most precious doctrines that I cling to when I think about, uh, a believer's salvation and the assurance that they have, they can have, uh, that they can have, because many people struggle with this issue, is rooted in God's eternal decree and His unchangeable character. The theological term we use to describe God's unchangeable character is His immutability. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, Andy, and I were mutable. Very we, much so. At one time, we did not exist. Then we were born and we grew. Uh, I'm now 51. I'm starting to feel uh, bodily aches routinely that I did not feel when I was 10 years younger. Uh, our bodies change. They grow old, and then we we die. But God is eternal, unchanging, with an eternal purpose of salvation for those who he calls to be his own people. And I think I've been really... You know, as I've reflected a little bit on the election and the fallout from the election, I think it's going to go on now for probably a couple of weeks before we really have a clear understanding of what's going to uh, what's going to be the situation facing the church over the, at least the next you know four years. Yeah, is that w- the the Christian believer 
who is overly wrapped up in this is going to really struggle with it. And I think uh, the doctrine of the assurance of the believer, the assurance that God is for them in Christ, the assurance that they are saved, that they will not be dropped by God, that they will be brought uh, forth all the way through to the end until they're glorified, um, is a source of great solace and peace for the believer. And I think that's really important in a time with a lot of political vicissitudes Mm -hmm. and tension in our nation about whether it's even legitimate to be a believer in our culture is a question that we're starting to have to think very seriously about. Mm -hmm. Uh, Where do we find our hope? The doctrine of assurance points us back to God, to his unchangeable purpose in saving sinners for his own glory. And that can give us hope and peace in a time of extreme stress and anxiety. Mm -hmm. So I was listening to a few uh, sermons. I, I, I've talked many times on, on the show about how, um, a lot of times just to calm my mind at night when I'm trying to sleep, I'll, I'll put sermons on and just let them play and, and then fall asleep to different things. And, and, uh, Phil Johnson has been a guy that for years has been in my, you know, just shuffle, just listen to, I, I really like his sermons and, um, and it, it's been kind of providential how, how many assurance, uh, sermons have popped up just in the few weeks that since we talked about maybe using this as a topic and, um, he brought up, uh, Martin Lloyd jo- Martin Lloyd Jones on uh, easy for me to say Martin Lloyd Jones on one of the sermons and and I thought that was a great quote he talked about apparently Martin Lloyd Jones has said that assurance is the central topic of the New Testament is that how does that ring with you well uh, yeah I do no I I think that's uh, Martin Lloyd Jones the doctor mm-hmm. the doctor the was, doctor was on was onto something there. Uh, that the eternal purposes of God in saving sinners is realized first and foremost in the work that Christ did on behalf mm-hmm. of the elect. And uh, Christ came to save the church. That was why he came. And the doctrine of assurance tells us that what Christ did was effectual. The resurrection of Christ from the dead testifies that his perfect life of obedience his suffering unto death for our sin on our behalf satisfied the righteous wrath of God for our sin so that we can have assurance that we belong to God and that we will be with God in eternity. Mm-hmm. So I think I, I think I would agree with the doctor uh, on that topic. I think that's a wise statement. Mm-hmm. Well, that's I, I think that's the core of it is just getting to, uh, I think we I, I mentioned, I, I just kind of threw out before we started that, we have kind of a Pelagian uh, beast that lives within us that wants to think that, that we had something to do with our salvation. And then once we start thinking that, then we start worrying if I've done something for my salvation, did I do enough? Right. And that, that comes in, uh, it comes in a couple of forms you, you in the church. You know, I, when I think of the Roman Catholic communion, one of the greatest tragedies for me as a minister, when I consider the doctrines of the Roman communion, is there is a complete lack of assurance amongst those who um, are part of the, of the Catholic Church. Um, I, fo- I follow an account on, I don't follow the account on Twitter, but uh, I'm in a group where sometimes this guy's tweets come up and they're just so 
they're so tragic. He, uh, he'll he'll tweet something about the fact that he had done something wrong, and if he doesn't hurry to confession, if he dies that night, he's going to hell. Oh wow! And it's just this constant state of hell, anxiety. not 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 purgatory. Uh, uh, well, no, I think he's the the term is used as hell. Uh, like this is you know he's concerned that what he did might have a mortal taint to it that would consign him to hell if it's mm-hmm. not pardoned by the priest. Um. And I, I just, I really grieve for those folks because they're missing out on the richness and the sweetness yeah. uh, of of the gospel. But you're 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 so right to, to say we we our default mode, and this is the default mode of humanity. It seems like, and you see witness to this in the scripture is is Pelagianism. It's this idea that we're morally you know, neutral. We're yeah, we, we start can choose out there one way or the other. Or, yeah, God saved us, but now I need to do something to make sure I stay saved. Yeah. Because at some point, he might He might turn away. If I do the wrong thing, it might not be enough. What Jesus – we have to we have to get a grip on what Christ did. Because whenever we go down that path, we're saying what Jesus did wasn't sufficient. Do we really believe that mm-hmm. or do we not really believe that? If you really believe that what Christ did was sufficient, that his obedience to the law was perfect on, my, on your behalf, that his suffering, the penalty for our sin was perfect on our behalf, then there is nothing more you can add. I, I've, I've, I've preached about this. One of the amazing things about the doctrines of grace is it teaches it should teach us over time that you can't god won't be bought off he can't be bought off mm-hmm. he doesn't need anything from us he's totally self-sufficient all of this is of his grace and if it's all of his grace it will not fail because he, he's perfect in everything that he he decrees so we we for the christian to have greater assurance they need to have thinking like that what Christ did is sufficient for me. I do not need, and I, in fact, even if I wanted to, I couldn't add anything to it. The great pieces, I don't have to add anything to it. Mm-hmm. I seek to show my gratitude and thanksgiving by means of my obedience, trusting in his grace to make me actually holy, uh, which is the pursuit of the Christian as they rest in that grace. So that was kind of a dra- another direction I wanted to go. I think you set that up really well, and that's tying assurance to sanctification, and uh-huh. that that our our sanctification in many ways is driven by our our assurance. Yeah, in fact, I think uh, when you when you frame it that way, it it really that's the difference between being Pelagian in our response to the gospel and being grateful in our response mm-hmm. to the gospel. Uh, the the call of the gospel to the obedience of Christ is not a burden for the believer if they understand that their obedience, their joyful performance of good works as the appeal, uh, I think it's in, what is it, First John, where there's constant appeal to yeah, be I've zealous got... for good works, right? Yep. Uh, and you can be zealous for good works with a clean conscience knowing that, well, this isn't going to do anything to save me. I've already been saved. So I'm free to do it now, not on the basis that it's going to get me anything from God. God's given me everything. Now mm-hmm. I can do it just out of a sense that I want to do it because it will please him. It's like pleasing your dad. 
Yeah. Uh, I, I want to do it to please him, to honor him for what he has done for me. He has chosen, uh, he's chosen me for this great uh, blessing. I want, how do I live to honor him? And that becomes the motivation for our pursuit of sanctification in our own lives, the mortification of sin. I don't want to be that old person. He saved me from this mm-hmm. life. Mm-hmm. I should be, when Paul says we're dead to that, it means it dies. That's dead in you. It doesn't have a claim on you anymore. What has a claim on you is grace. And that grace works itself in love and in good works and in sanctification. Well said. So I had a sub note on, on sanctification that just, just to point out that to struggle with sin is a sign of genuine salvation. If we're struggling, I mean, that seems to be, to be the, the greatest uh, thing that, that people use to question their assurance is people will look inward as we should and, and reflect upon our sin and our need of a savior. Mm-hmm. And then we start questioning our own assurance, but mm-hmm. that very questioning is, is a sign of our assurance. <laughs> I, I, I think I know what you're, you're getting at there. Uh-huh. That's a healthy redirect for your mind when it starts to go down that, that path. Um, our tendencies to think is, Oh man, I blew it. Uh, I'm, I'm out of favor now. <laughs> There's mm-hmm. nothing I can do. But right away, the response needs to be, no, I'm not out of it. What this demonstrates is I'm still a work in progress, that yep. I still need to, I, it's what, uh, was it Martin Luther who said, all of life, all of the Christian life really is one large act of repentance. Um, it needs to be front and center all the time. It needs to be preached in our churches all the time. Um, to repent of that sin, to rest in the grace of Christ, and to strive for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord, which is what the author to the Hebrews says. Um, but yeah, it, it is kind of that way. It, it, it works that way out in the life of a believer very, very frequently. This, this, this notion that, well, oh, I need to do more. Well, wait a minute. No, Christ did do everything for me. Mm-hmm. And the fact that I'm grieving this sin is actually a healthy sign. And I should remember this grief because it can be used to uh, help me remember I need to not be this way. I need to do what I've instructed to do in the scripture, put the sin to death and move on from it. Mm-hmm. Now, how do we tie the doctrine of assurance to um, the perseverance? We, we sometimes call it the perseverance of the saints or the preservation of the saints, kind of the pea and tulip of the mm-hmm. more reformed. Well, it's really a key to understanding um, the, persever- the, the perseverance of the saints. Um, Maybe we should talk a little bit about the preservation or the perseverance. Uh, some people prefer to call it preservation because because we we it's it's easy to kind of get that wrong the pre, per, the the perseverance that we get the we right, kind of get a wrong right. thinking that if we don't if we trip and fall that that's not persevering and and, and some will point right. out that well it's better to call it preservation that God God is going to be the one that preserves us through it the the perseverance of the saints is a preserving act of God in the lives of the saints. I think yeah. That's probably the way, the way that I would put it. Uh-huh. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, the, you know, that I'm a reformed Christian uh, as part of my ministry in the Orthodox Presbyterian church ministers have to 
subscribe to the uh, Westminster standards. So yeah. the Westminster Confession of Faith and then the larger and shorter catechisms. And chapter 17 of the Westminster Confession addresses specifically uh, the perseverance of, of the saints. And I, I like what it says. I'm just going to quote from it just, yeah. just briefly. It says, this perseverance of the saints depends not upon their own free will, but upon the immutability of the decree of election. So there's that sense that God's will, God's being is immutable. Therefore, his will is immutable and his decrees are immutable and therefore unchangeable. So if I am the elect of God, that is eternal. Um, so it continues on flowing from the free and unchangeable love of God, the father upon the efficacy of the merit and intercession of Jesus Christ, the abiding of the spirit and of the seed of God within them and the nature of the covenant of grace from all which ariseth also the certainty and infallibility thereof. So this ties into assurance in that uh, the confession also says that believers can have true assurance. Um, but there's sometimes things that creep up in life, right? Yeah. And actually, the two of the most pastoral paragraphs in the Westminster Confession of Faith are in the sections on perseverance and on assurance. In perseverance, it says, Nevertheless, they may, through the temptations of Satan and of the world, the prevalency of corruption remaining in them, and the neglect of the means of their preservation fall into grievous sins and for a time continue therein, whereby they incur God's displeasure and grieve his Holy Spirit, come to be deprived of some measures of, the, of their graces and comforts, have their hearts hardened and their consciences wounded, hurt and scandalize others and bring temporal judgments upon themselves. So what this says is that can happen in the one whom God preserves and is going to preserve. Mm -hmm. Now let's go to the next section actually is about assurance of grace and salvation. The, the last part of that. Are you still uh, in says, chapter 17? You said no, now I'm in chapter 18, the last okay. part of chapter 18 of the assurance of grace and salvation. True believers may have the assurance of their salvation divers, which is just a fancy word that means various, mm -hmm. various ways shaken, diminished, and intermitted as by neglecting, preserving of it, by falling into some special sin which woundeth the conscience and grieveth the spirit, by some sudden or vehement temptation, by God's withdrawing the light of his countenance, and suffering even such as fear him to walk in darkness and to have no light. Yet, they are never utterly destitute of that seed of God and life of faith, that love of Christ and the brethren, that sincerity of heart and conscience of duty, out of which, by the operation of the Spirit, this assurance may, in due time, be revived, and by the which, in the meantime, they are supported from utter despair. So our confessional documents, at least in the Reform world, take into account the very reality that we're both simultaneously saved and then we're still at war with this old nature. Mm -hmm. And there are times in the battle with the war against the old nature that we succumb to some in some of the skirmishes mm -hmm. and that we ought not to lose hope. That is part and parcel of ultimately what God has ordained for the elect. And there's always a purpose and end to that. Usually the purpose and end is to refine us. It's to make us more holy. 
is to expose areas of sin in our life that we may have so buried that we we weren't even really aware that they were there, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Um, and in uncovering those things then affords us the opportunity to repent, to remind ourselves of the sweetness of the gospel, to remind ourselves that God's purposes are unchangeable, and that even this sin which I've committed is pardoned by the precious blood of Christ so that I need not fear and utterly despair. That's the mindset that Christians need to have. That's the message of the gospel that pastors need to preach, especially at times like this when there's so much chaos around us. Mm -hmm. So I was just starting to look over. I had three verses from 1 John that I I wrote down in my notes. I don't know that we necessarily would need to get to them, but um, I knew you were going to bring up the Westminster Confession, and I also checked the... So I'm more of a Baptist. I would consider myself mostly Reformed. And mm-hmm. I know some Presbyterians would scoff at that. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, don't, don't mix it up with R. Scott Clark. <laughs> <laughs> He's very jealous of the Reformed he moniker. He is. You know, I, I, I've done a, a few shows with Scott, and I, I just I oh, love God, I his— Yeah, I love his grit and his tenacity and, and how he guards that word. You know, we we've so let— evangelical become a tarnished word that has no meaning. And so mm-hmm. even though Scott would say that I'm not strictly reform, I I would, I respect the fact that he guards that term so well. Yeah. I, and I love Scott. <laughs> I do too. Uh, he's, he's, no, he's uh, I, I think I've done three with him and I didn't really know him well when I did the first one. Somebody asked me to do a show on, uh, was it theonomy? I think, okay. it was, I think it was on theonomy. Yeah. And he, he would be a good resource for that. He was he was the the guy that came up t- high up on the Google list mm-hmm. and had some excellent articles. And so I reached out, introduced myself, and did did a fantastic show with him on that. And he's been back oh, a couple great. times, but and uh, I interact with him a little bit on Twitter. So um, yeah, I love Scott. Um, but I, I did notice that um, if you're a little bit more on the Baptist side, which I am, um, the 1689 London Baptist actually. Same chapter numbers for yep, these things, yep. uh, 14 and 18 on saving faith and assurance and grace and salvation. And we didn't really talk about 14. Well, um, what is 14 in the uh, chapter 14 faith? is on saving faith and, and it's the same oh, in yeah. both in both confessions. But. Yeah. Well, it's because uh, the Westminster was so great that uh, <laughs> it, see the need to change any of that part. Uh, <laughs> actually, I'll be perfectly honest with you. I've never actually gone through. I have a couple of Bibles now where it has uh, a bunch of the Reformed confessions in them. Mm-hmm. And the London Baptist Confession of Faith is in both of them. I've never actually gone through the whole thing. No. Uh, I need to do it at some point. With the exception I, I've, of the parts, through, of uh, I've kind of skimmed over both. Um, you know, as we were putting together a new church about uh, – it was about seven years ago and trying to come up with our own uh, statement of faith. I uh-huh. kind of lobbied for, well, why don't we start with something known like the 1689 London Baptist? And, and if we don't agree with everything, we can, we can pull out those things we disagree with. And mm-hmm. you know, like, for instance, we're not Sabbatarian by nature. So we right. pull out that right. part about the Sabbatarianism and um, the, one of our chief preachers, is is pretty opposed to uh confessions altogether not that yeah. he disagrees with them but just that he he's afraid that they work so well for one generation but then the next generation is just kind of uh just 
reciting them by rote, not not understanding what they mean or necessarily believing what they mean, but this is what I memorized, so that's what I'm going to read off and whatnot. Well, I would actually say that's a misuse of the catechism or with of the confessional documents. Uh, um, I'm a staunch confessionalist, and I, I've, I know what you're talking about, the phenomenon in the church where, you know, no, no creed, but Christ. Well, yeah, that itself is a creed. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I firmly, I, I, I got one leg and one foot in each yeah. camp, really. I mean, I see the value on both sides so well. And there is, uh, there is kind of a creedal imperative in the church. In fact, I think there's even a book called that the creedal imperative. I want to say maybe, maybe Carl Truman or somebody wrote a book on, on something like that. But I see what you mean in, in, Chapter 14 of the Westminster Confession of Faith, and I'm assuming it's the same in the London Baptist Confession, too, is talking about saving faith, the faith of the elect that that uh, brings salvation mm-hmm. to our souls. And that that uh, actually is a very uh, helpful chapter as well. Part three says this faith is in diff- is in degrees weak or strong. And may be often in many ways assailed and weakened, but gets the victory, growing up in many to the attainment of full assurance through Christ, who is both the author and the finisher of our faith. So that citation of the work of Christ plays huge in that, that uh, we attest and confess and believe that Christ's work is sufficient for what uh, had to be accomplished on behalf of the elect. When he said it was finished, it was finished. And we believers uh, live lives where we will routinely struggle. And uh, I think one of the, you know, we're talking about the value of confessions. One of the great values of the confessions, uh, of many confessional documents, are statements just like this. You see, in the history of the church, saints have contended and struggled some of the things that we are contending and struggling with today. I think, mm-hmm. I think in so many ways, confessions are very much uh, transcendent of time. Um, faith is in different in degrees, weak or strong. You know people in your church. I know people in my church. You can just tell. Uh, the, the, the people who are walking around who seem to be have the greatest sense of peace who don't get caught up in squabbles, who pour themselves out in the service and life of the church and service and life of each other, are tend to be the people whose faith is the strongest. Mm-hmm. And then you have people who are many times who are younger, who are struggling through some of the vicissitudes of life, um, whether that be a loss of a job or falling apart of a relationship or whatever. And it they're being assailed. Um uh, one of the things that the confessional documents can help up the believer is to understand, oh, this thing that's going, I'm going through now, this is not unprecedented in the history of the Christian faith. Mm-hmm. Others have had this problem, and they have testified in these confessional documents, uh, set forth that, yeah, these things happen, but guess what? Christ does get the victory. Yes, your assurance may be in divers' way shaken, but it can never be lost. Um uh, and so, again, that's, I think, another really classic pastoral passage from the confessions. We very often think of confession as a strictly rote doctrinal statements, and a lot of that is rote doctrinal statement. But there are great pastoral parts of, of the confessions as well that can serve to per, help us uh, 
yeah. in times where we feel like we're lacking assurance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's where I, 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 I guess I'm, I'm having two feet, uh, foot in each side of the discussion. Um, you know, like I said, I started out with that process of our own statement of faith. That was my thought was let's start with, let's not reinvent the wheel here, you know? Yeah. yeah. There's, there's so much value. And it really, um, both of these confessions, Westminster and London Baptist, there really were only two or three things that we would disagree with. Sure, know, obviously sure. the Westminster, we're going to disagree with, with baptism, baptism of babies or infants. Sure. Um, right. But then the Sabbatarianism, and there was one other thing I don't remember off the top of my head that I, we generally don't agree with the the two, but the rest of it is just solid stuff that we would embrace wholeheartedly. Now mm-hmm. he kind of would point towards the five solas and say, you know, there's so much rooted in just the five solas that if you just understand that well, you know, it's a good foundation and we can take it from there. Yeah. So. Yeah. The five solas are great, but uh, there's so much more to the faith than just one of the things we have to deal with in the church sometimes, and this is especially true in, in evangelicalism, mm-hmm. if you will, is that everything's about soteriology. How do you get saved? And that, of course, is hugely important. Mm-hmm. But there is so much more to the richness of the doctrine of the biblical doctrines of the church. There are other doctrines besides soteriology um, that are crucial for us to know if we're to properly live the Christian life and rest in God's grace. Mm-hmm. Um, so for anybody who's listening, you know, if you, if we're talking about the confessions of faith and if you're in that camp who kind of has grown up in a, in a world where there's no talk about things like confessions and catechisms and that kind of thing, uh, I would encourage listeners who've never thought about doing it. Yeah. Pick up one of these documents. They're, yeah. they're, they're actually not hard to read. Mm-hmm. You might actually be really shocked at how easy some of these things are to read. Some of the English is a little antiquated, sure. uh, but it's easy to figure out. And I, I just commend it to, to people who are listening because there are tools in there that can be used for the very thing that we're talking about, which yeah. is my assurance is shaken. I need to get back to the the basics of the faith. And these things are good articulations of the basics of the faith. Yeah. The issues that people have struggled with so that I know I'm not in this by myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's something I've enjoyed with my, my boys. Uh, I homeschool my, my three boys and uh, I've kind of been doing it for a number of years, but each year I get a little bit more comfortable and expand yeah. a little bit more on how much, what we do in homeschooling and stuff. And this year I decided that I want to throw in, um, some catechism. So I, I, I looked up a, a good Baptist catechism and now the one that I found was put together by John Piper and you know, John, mm-hmm. I guess kind of has some, has some interesting he, views on things. Yes. But um, I think it's generally taken from a good, strong, you know, foundational Baptist catechism and, and it's so simple, you know, we just go through a question maybe ever, you know, maybe th- th- two, three or four questions a week. So as mm-hmm. we're sitting down doing a little bit of Bible reading together and praying together and stuff, it's like an extra minute to go over a catechism question. And, and yeah, it's kind of fun when it, when, when you get a little bit longer question and answer to, to say, what well, boys, do you understand what this means? And get a chance to get in a little bit deeper and say, well, this is what, this is what they're talking about. Yeah. I think uh, what you're doing there is really very valuable. And uh uh, you know, even in my own um, denomination, 
we have a denominational magazine and in the denominational magazine, uh, there's a little part that they, they list uh, the names of people who have successfully recited from memory, the uh, entirety of the short catechism. And uh, you know, it's easy to take that kind of thing and just tell your kids, okay, well, if you want your name in the magazine, you have to make sure you know the answer to all these questions. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> questions. But uh, what's so f- what, what troubles me sometimes is I'll get the magazine and, and the section's not there. And uh, that bothers me because what, what you're doing is setting a very fine example that Christian parents, are, the Christian home is the primary place of formation mm-hmm. for the faith of 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 the children who we hope will uh, receive the faith themselves. And um, you cannot underestimate the influence. I mean, if you sit down and you go through the Bible and a catechism with your kids, the act of doing that by itself communicates the importance of what you're talking about. You wouldn't put it in the curriculum unless you thought it was something they needed to know. They understand that. Mm-hmm. And Christian parents need to understand that aspect of their own faith. Can't just be a Sunday only thing. You can't just send the kids off into the Sunday school room. Yeah. Real Christian formation happens in the context of the family at home. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think very often in America, we forget that. And unfortunately that has, that has downstream effects among other things. Uh, kids, they don't know, they may know what they believe, but they don't know why they believe it. Uh, and, and then they don't know what to do when they're out of the household. You know, that's and, actually partly the, the motivation that was behind this years ago uh-huh. and has been over many years is that I just always foresaw even, you know, my oldest was only a year old when I first started doing this and he's 13 now. And, uh, but, but I always saw as, as a high, you know, primary reason for doing this is to put together a library of materials so that he goes off to college or goes off into the, the world and is challenged on, on different issues and, and maybe comes back and says, Dad, um, somebody was asking me about assurance of salvation. You know, what, what, what can you say about that? You know, and I can say, you know what, I, I did a great show years back with uh, Chris <laughs> Drew and you should go listen to that. Or, well, that's really cool. I, I didn't know that was one of your motivations for doing this. That's really commendable. And um, yeah, no, I mean, I think, you know, parents, uh, you know, I think a lot of parents too, they, they sometimes think, you know, I don't have what it takes to really articulate the doctrines of the faith to my children. Um, uh, but you would be surprised actually parents, how much you do know. Mm-hmm. And if you don't know, there are so many resources, including these very confessional documents we've been talking about where, where you can, you can work through them all together. Mm-hmm. And make it a family deal. That's uh, well. I think there's a value a, also there in in that when you think you don't know, to working it out with your kids to show them that look, mom and dad, we're human too. That we don't yeah. I mean, we we seem like we know everything, but we don't. And 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 this is you can pattern for them. This is how you go about learning something that you don't know, and mm-hmm. and that it can be exactly. valuable and friendly or uh, fun and uh, and and easier than you think and friendly and. <laughs> And it's the coolest thing too when you when you uh, uh, when you see your kids start to pick up and start to bring things together mm-hmm. in the faith. Um, that's just a huge blessing if you're a parent. 
but it, it, for that to happen, you know, parents grab a catechism, grab a <laughs> confession, go through it. Yeah. See what and, it says about doctors like we're talking about tonight, because uh, you'll benefit from it and your kids will too. Yeah. So I, I'm sorry. I apologize that when we started, we, I kind of threw out my little uh, outline of some things and you threw out some things too. And I don't remember off the top of my head, but I remember they were really good. And I said, let's talk about those too. So uh, what, different what, sides what, what, what of they? assurance of salvation. My, my sheet oh, is, my sheet's full. Friendly. It's top to bottom. You probably can't yeah. see it, but my sheet was full. So I didn't have room to. No, I think, I think I was, uh, I, I think one of the things I wanted to, to tie in with, it was something we did actually mention earlier was this idea that uh, our assurance is rooted primarily in the character of God. Mm -hmm. And I use the word that, first of all, God is eternal. Yeah. Uh, He has always been. That's a hard thing for us to grasp because we're finite. We're not eternal. Yeah. But then the other thing I said was that God is immutable. He does not change. Yeah. His purposes don't change. He's not a fickle God. Um, so much of paganism, pagan worship of, of, of uh, idols is rooted in the fickleness of those gods. Right. They're capricious. They, they're... they're just capricious. They just do what they want. Yeah. Well, smite, save, smite, save. Um, and that's not, that's not the, how God operates. God decrees something and it happens. His call is effectual and his purposes are unchanging. And the reason his purposes are unchanging is because he does not change. And that, and so that's what ultimately our assurance is rooted in is the unchangeableness of this gracious God who has chosen to save people for himself. If, if, if God is mutable, then we can have no hope. Right. He can change his mind at a will, uh, at a whim. You're saved one minute, then then you're not. Thank God that we do not worship <laughs> a God like that. Thank God that he is immutable and unchangeable, that his decrees are fixed, that what he purposes does happen, because that is where we find our hope. That's where we find our true rest, is in in his unchangeable character. And, his unch and that immutability... Uh, uh, transfers over into his other attributes so that we can say that he's immutably merciful. He's immutably loving toward those who are the elect. He's, uh, he's immutably gracious to them. He's not mm -hmm. going to just withdraw those things uh, forever. Now our confessional documents say, well, there'll be certain times, certain seasons of our life where we're in sin that we need to be refined. And he, he's even going to use those things mm -hmm. because his will and his purposes are so unchangeable. He will use even those things to produce the result that he has decreed from before the dawn of time. Yeah. That's the kind of thing we need to think about. Don't think so much about what you do. Don't think so, so much about your flaws, your flubs, your sins. Think more about Christ and the immutable nature of God. If you're having issues with salvation, remember God doesn't change. He doesn't change. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, and he has given to uh, to Christ the 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 ministry of saving his children, and Christ did do it. And he was raised from the dead, and he ascended in glory, and he governs his church. And uh, if if you believe in him, you are saved, and you will remain saved. 
uh, because God is unchangeable. Mm-hmm. Well said. And um, I do have these verses from from First John. I mean, that's just always the first place in Scripture that my mind goes when I think about assurance of salvation. It seems that that book was so geared towards reassuring us of our salvation. But uh, just real quickly, I've got uh, chapter 2, verse 3, uh, 3, 14, and 5, 13. And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Right. Um, we know that, and that, that was 2, 3, 3, 14 is, uh-huh. we know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. He who does right. not love the bread, who he who does not love abides in death. And that's right. such a, a good sign too. You know, when we, we get together with the brethren. Why do you think fellowship in the church is so important? Exactly. That actually does it. Yeah. I mean, one of those joyous times, I mean, that's why we should... We should really, I was talking to my kids about this. I preached on the Sabbath last Sunday. And it's so easy to to fall into this view that the Sabbath is this thing I must do. Mm -hmm. Rather than, oh, wait, the Sabbath is this gift I am being given each and every week. It is actually a holy day, a holiday, if you will, that we get every week. I get to be with all these people that I love. Mm -hmm. I get to hang out with them. I get to worship God with them. I get to share a meal with them. That's one of the neat things our church does every Sunday. We have a shared meal every Sunday. And uh, the richness of that uh, is astonishing and and scriptural. Uh, just like you said from 1 John uh, 3.14. Yep, you, find, you sit around and you look at these people that you're having fellowship with, and then suddenly realize, I have affection for these people. And the fact that you have that affection is a sign that mm-hmm. you are actually in Christ. So there's very practical things that we ex- we do. Ex- we ex- I would call this more uh, experiential Christianity, where it's like, I do actually really love these people who have also professed faith in Christ. And that actually, according to the scripture, is a sign that I'm in Christ. Because mm-hmm. I, love I love his children. I love my brothers and sisters. It's a great yeah. verse. Great verse. And then on the flip side, we see the power of that in church discipline as well. But mm-hmm. we're going to miss that when we're put out for our own good. Uh, yeah, and actually. You know, the purpose you know, would be to drive us to repentance so that we'd be welcomed back into that. Yeah, and um, uh, we actually just had, well, the circumstances are uh, very sad, but we had a family leave our church. And the stated reason was, that they were leaving, they, they were leaving the faith. Oh, wow. I was, I was kind of hoping when I got the letter, it would be more like, well, somebody said something and we're upset, but, um, but it is really grieving mm-hmm. to think that I, mean, I had sweet fellowship with these people. And it turns out that they, they had a, they had a deep spiritual problem. Well, that's, um, I, I'm like that you brought that up. Cause that, that is something that can, pull at us as we're dealing with this assurance of faith. When we see somebody that we're so sure, you know, sometimes these people have such a strong grasp of theology, you know, that they can get up and teach the Sunday school or, or even preach on Sunday sometimes. And then all of a sudden they fall away and that can be shaking. To- yeah, that can be really shaking. Um, uh, but you know, uh, what did we fall back on there? Well, we know that's the way the church is going to be. I mean, Jesus had a whole parable with the wheat and the tares. What do we do? We, we, we don't know the estate of everybody's heart. The only estate, and we don't even really know our own hearts that well, mm-hmm. uh, as well as we ought. And so, um, 
But um, some, a lot of, I mean, it's easy to fall into, like, if it happened to them, could that happen to me? You know? Oh, People yeah, yeah. Wonder, no, you know? Right, right. Um, but, but again, the, you, you know, that if we need to not look at ourselves, we need to keep looking at the character and purpose of God and what he did in Christ. Mm-hmm. The character and purpose of God, what he did in Christ. We need to be reminded of that every week in church. We need to be in the word, reflecting on, the, seriously reflecting on the attributes of God um, uh, to make it a discipline. We'd be uh, greatly helped if we were more disciplined in our thinking. So lifelong struggle of mine is being disciplined in my thinking. There's so many distractions, Twitter, Facebook, family yeah. affairs, affairs. I mean, it's just so much easier to be distracted in our time. Um, you know, I think about what we experience on a day-to-day basis in the United States today, and and we think we're so advanced. We've got all this cool <laughs> talking on this cool microphone and Google Hangouts, and this stuff is is great. But man, what a rush we're in! And everything's pulling us away from the thing that's the most important. And I think I do think that's actually what causes a lot of people to have issues with assurance today, is they're not thinking about God. They're thinking about the next thing that's just about around the corner that's going to require their time and attention. Um, maybe that's a call for us to try to to live uh, simpler lives. Um, so I don't know. I'll have to think more about that. But mm-hmm. I had to write that, that down. Attributes of God. That's next year, maybe. Uh, maybe I'll put that together maybe, in next yeah, year's maybe. curriculum and we'll do the catechism and then that'd be a good, that'd be a good God, uh, the ones that are communicable, the ones that are incommunicable. Yeah. Um, Go back and forth. Just do one yeah. or two, maybe do a couple a week. And Yeah, that'd be a good, that's a good idea. That's a good idea. Maybe, uh, yeah, I, I like that. I think not only will I put that together, maybe I'll, I'll make a um, a PDF that people can download or something. You can add it. That would be, I think that'd be really great. Cool. So I'm not making any promises, but uh, I'm going to put that on my wish list for my time for the next uh so I'm, ideally i'd have it ready by mid-august so that it'd be ready for next school year but yeah, that's it's cool. on my wish list if it doesn't happen i apologize uh i <laughs> didn't make any promises but well chris um maybe the timing's working out really well i i, I see the discussion part of this um don't know how long the intro and whatnot that i have yet to record sure. or add on but we're at about 57 minutes so um, I like to shoot for an hour, but um, anything that we might have missed that you think is important to the topic? Um, and we did. I think we did talk pretty well about it. Yeah, I um, no, I just really appreciated some of the things you brought from from First John. I think that's that's really helpful and very practical in terms <laughs> of understanding. Yeah, since um, you mentioned that, the other one that I had was five thirteen. These things that I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God in order that you may know that you have eternal life. Exactly. Yep, exactly. And and the other place I go to routinely is uh, John 17, uh, Jesus' prayer to his Father, um, to the Heavenly Father. Mm-hmm. Um, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you love me before the foundation 
of the world. Um, he's going to do that for, for all those for whom he died. And we are his. And he will not let us go. And, I, you know, I don't know what else you can add to, to you. Can, we can't add anything to that. Mm-hmm. Can't add anything to what Jesus has done. And when you finally realize there's nothing more you can add, then you can rest and be yeah. assured that you're his. You really do. You know, there's an old trope. You need to be brought to an end of yourself yeah. before you'll come to faith. But even after you've come to faith, you still there's still more that you need to come to your end of yourself. <laughs> yeah. Real assurance that yeah, I'm 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 his. He's mine, and he's not going anywhere. Well, there are a few of those little um, tropes, sayings, whatever that that can be helpful. You know, there's that one. There's uh, the one where we we un- just understanding that the only thing I contributed to my salvation was the sin that made it necessary. Yep. Yep. So I also had yep. uh, maybe in closing, I had. Um, Romans seventeen, Romans seven, fourteen to twenty five, just scratched in my notes. I had to bring it up on the iPad, but it's. Uh, I'm not going to read it, but um, the passage is about the conflict of two natures. Yep. Um, laws, the law being spiritual, and then also being in the flesh in a bondage to mm-hmm. sin. But uh, that was just in my notes. If anybody listening wants to look at another passage for uh, along the topic, great. So yeah, that's um, great. Okay. I, I, I before. So we talked about the topic and you talked a little bit about your ministry and your church and um, you've got some other experience with podcasting, which was partly why you throw it, threw it out to, to do it together. And, uh, let's t- just briefly talk about that. Yeah, sure. Uh, I'm, I've been an irregular guest on a Presbyterian focused podcast called Presbycast. Uh, that was formed by uh it was really formed by a group of uh, folks who were on Twitter and, and, and had become familiar with each other and become familiar with the, that they're this in these reformed Presbyterian circles and mm-hmm. wanted to create sort of a community. And so really the podcast sort of got its start that way. Uh, the two guys who started it, uh, the, the one gentleman, his name is Brad Isbell. Uh, and he's in Tennessee and uh, he goes by the the Twitter handle at Chortles Weekly. Okay. Uh, Chortles like the laughter weekly, as in W E A K L Y. Not so strong. A week not strong. And the other man is a name, a man who prefers to remain anonymous. Uh, I know, I know who he is, but he prefers to remain anonymous on Twitter on the podcast. And he goes by the uh, Twitter handle at Resbiterian. Resbiterian. Uh, Wrestling. He's oh, a okay. wrestling. Guy. Okay. Uh, so Presbyterian. So if so you follow those w? two guys on Twitter with a W, okay. uh, if you follow those two guys on Twitter or you follow at Presbycast, you'll see what I'm I'm talking okay. about. But I've been an occasional guest with them, talking on any number of of subjects. Uh, they keep it pretty lighthearted. Yeah. They somehow find this bumper music that's just this clownish, uh, old school kind of evangel- uh, uh, evangelical you know, old timey stuff. That's really fun. Sure. And, uh, they have our Scott Clark on and, and guys like, uh, uh, Daryl Hart, who's at Hillsdale college. And, uh, 
he was a uh, he's on the committee of the historian of the Orthodox Presbyterian Church and has written extensively on J. Gresson Manchin, who really was instrumental in the founding of the Orthodox Presbyterian Church. Mm-hmm. So that's 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 my other. Uh, so people I can find you there. I know I I just listened. You did one. You were uh, one of those um, guest co-hosts just a few weeks ago talking about uh, Christianity and political libertarianism. So I listened yeah, a little actually, bit to that one. Political. I, I want to be careful there because the guest, I think, would would actually take issue with that. Okay. She wanted to be she wanted to be known as a Christian libertarian uh, because the political movement itself is is uh, it's a little different. Different. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of libertarians actually aren't part of the political party itself per se. Well, yeah, that was worth. I mean, I I would have considered myself you know somewhat libertarian, kind of along the lines of the guest for many years, I'd still to some degree would too. Never part of the, the actual party. Never, you know, I've never voted for the libertarian candidate for president or, or whatnot. Uh, for a while yeah, I, I would, I was more of a um, constitution party, which I always saw as being the, like a good Christian libertarian, but with a Christian flavor to it. Right, a pro-life right. and whatnot. I, I thought she was a, um, really a very, she had brought a very good perspective. Uh, I was kind of tickled to have been invited to that at the last minute, but mm-hmm. uh, that was a great, that was a great episode. She was a great guest and, and, uh, you know, it's kind of funny. Machen himself was somewhat of a, he had a libertarian bent too. He was opposed to jaywalking laws. Mm-hmm. Uh, he also had very interesting views on education too. For example, he was very pro immigrant. He thought that immigrants coming to the United States, they were trying to, that they were being forced to, give up their language and their heritage. Uh, he thought they should be able to start their own schools and maintain their cultural heritage and as well oh, as wow. learn about. Yeah. So he, he, uh, he was a very interesting fellow uh, politically as well as, as oh. uh, theologically in Presbyterian history. Cool. Well, Chris, I am so thankful for both offering to come on and then coming on. It was a great discussion. <laughs> I enjoyed it a lot and hope we can do something together again sometime in the future. I know I'd be, I'd be happy to do it. Hopefully I'll be more prepared next time. Yeah. Well, I think we were both a little unprepared. I was talking about my main computer wouldn't come up for me. I'm going to have to fight with that thing. I don't dare fight with it tonight because then it'll just kind of lock up overnight and I'll have to do it again the next time I need to use this machine. But I uh, had to flip over away from my usual Mac onto the Windows machine, but it worked out. That's Good thing awesome. we didn't decide to use FaceTime because if you just said, let's go for FaceTime, then I would have been stuck to the to the Mac. <laughs> <laughs> I've used okay. FaceTime, I think, a grand total of like once. <laughs> <laughs> I've I've never done a podcast through it, but it's it's always there. It were it would it would work. But, uh, but thanks. Well, Chris. I think I have, one, I have one more thing I could just say. Yeah. Just to be just just a little quote from the beginning of of First Ephesians. First Ephesians. Um, first Ephesians. I'm sorry. Ephesians <laughs> chapter. <five. laughs> okay. <laughs> There's more than one Ephesians. Uh, is it getting late? I Am I losing know. my mind? <laughs> uh, no, Ephesians chapter 1, beginning at verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Christ Jesus, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, 
the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. Him, In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with a promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Uh, and that uh, the end of that is verse 14. Uh, one of the things about Ephesians uh, is it's in two basic parts. The first part is what we would say is in the indicative mood. These are all things that have been done. Mm-hmm. You've been chosen. You've been predestined. You have been adopted. You have been blessed. You have been redeemed. You have been forgiven. You have been lavished with the riches of his grace. Um, you've been united to him. You have an inheritance. Um, and you have the Holy Spirit. Yeah. What so more? Christ- I was going to say, what more guarantee do we need than the Holy Spirit given to us as a guarantee? Yeah. Uh, it's if you're in Christ, it's a lock. Um, he will not leave you or abandon you. Be at peace. Awesome. Well said. So much. Thanks so much, Chris. You bet, man. It's good to see you. Echo Zoe Radio is an outreach of Echo Zoe Ministries. If you are blessed by the show, please consider offering your support. There are many things you can do to help, including prayer, sharing the show with others, and your financial support. Echo Zoe Ministries is a registered nonprofit organization with 501c3 tax-exempt status, and your donations are tax-deductible. For more information about how you can support EchoZoe Ministries, please visit EchoZoe.com slash support. That wraps up episode 151. Thanks for listening to EchoZoe Radio. For show notes, visit EchoZoe.com slash 151. Be sure to check out the website also for links to connect with EchoZoe on social media. We're on Twitter, Facebook, Parlor, and YouTube, and love to connect with you. So follow, like, and subscribe to EchoZoe Ministries. Help us also get the word out by sharing or retweeting or parlaying or echoing the announcements for your favorite episodes because it not only helps introduce new people to the show, but it also gives me an indication of which episodes people really are enjoying the most. And with that, Lord willing, we'll be back next month with the December episode of Equizoy Radio. 